following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Anyway, it's the end of the month, so we I get to tell us and speak with us uh, about fearless faith. And this morning we're going to be using uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. And this morning, what I hope we see, or what we're going to look at, is the true nature of fearless faith. And it begins with this morning with the disciples in a panic during this storm, and how Jesus calms the winds and the waves. So, let me ask a few questions this morning. You don't have to yell them out, or you can if you want, but what do you fear today? What do we fear? Come on, the 800-pound gorillas in the room. We fear COVID, right? We fear COVID. <laughs> we fear COVID. You know what? I um, I reached a certain age a couple of years ago where Joe Namath and William Shatner now talk to me daily on the telephone, uh, television, reminding me about the deadline. <laughs> you get what I'm coming? I get phone calls all day long on my phone, you know. Well, you should enroll in our plan because it's really, really good. So I, I, I've started to deal with my mortality, and I think some of us are also dealing with that too. But what about finances? Do we sometimes have more bills than money? And we worry about that stuff. What about hey, concerns about America today, our nation? Anybody concerned about it? If you're not, we'll talk afterwards. But, you know, we have concerns over America. Anybody have family relationships that need to be mended, that are broken or on the verge of being broken? How do we respond to these challenges? Do we respond with fearless faith? as I, I think we should, or we are, are we like the disciples yelling out, Master, Master, we are perishing. I'm going to submit that this morning we will explore what biblical fearless faith looks like in real life. I'd like to start our time this morning with a proposition. Many believers find themselves spiritually depressed because they haven't understood the true nature of, of fearless faith. Now, this doesn't mean that they're not Christians. Because all who have come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by accepting His Lord and Savior, they've been given the gift of faith. They've been given a measure of faith, if you would, but it doesn't mean that they've understood what they've been given. It takes time to figure that out, right? I'd like to share with you this morning a story that brings out the distinction between the gift of faith and our walk with faith, or maybe even the life of faith that we're to live. You know, the overall theme of this morning's message is what Paul proclaimed in Second uh, Corinthians 5-7, we walk by faith, not by sight. So with this in clear view, Let's take a look at the text this morning, and Jesus, his, it's a remarkable question. Where is your faith? We'll have it up on this slide, but if you have God's word in your hand, we'll be looking at 8, 
Luke 8, chapter 22 to 25. And it begins with, One day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went out and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him? I was sharing with Pastor the other day a, a experience I had uh, at sea on a, in a hurricane on a Navy ship. That boat right there was my home for two years. She's 590 feet long. She's 100 feet wide. She was 26 feet underwater, and she displaced 19,800 pounds. She had a crew of 58 officers and 520 men and two Marines. We had them surrounded. (laughs) It was a target-rich environment, we would say. But uh, of the men, most of the crew... uh, had been exposed to storms at sea over a period of time. So, but they never experienced anything like a hurricane at sea. And, and I, you know, we were taking 30 degree rolls, which is significant because it ends up being 60 degrees. We go 31. And you know, you ever see that there was an old, uh, Three Stooges thing where they on a ship and the plates come rolling by them and they're stabbing at plates as they go by them on the tables. That's how, that's how it was. And, and it wasn't a pleasant ride. And, and I remember I had a very good friend on the ship. He was actually a black gentleman, and he was a lieutenant, Kenny Sutton. And I actually saw him turn green. <laughs> now, our Commodore was a guy named V.C. Smith, and he was an old sea dog. He had started as a, uh, a lowly E-1 and worked up to being a, a vice admiral. And he wasn't the least bit phased by this storm. And actually, he was kind of bemused when I think about it because of the collective concerns that he had of all his officers. And I remember he got us after the storm, he got us all up on the bridge, and he said, he looked at us, kind of dressing us down. He looked like Yoda. That's what his nickname was. He looked like Yoda. And so Yoda's addressing us, and he says, what were you afraid of? Simple. What were you afraid of? And everyone's like, "Well, I don't know." You know, it was kind of rough. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> ships. And I remember B.C. Smith said, "Ships in the harbor are safe, but that's not what ships are made for." <laughs> you know, there's a lot of truth in that. So this morning, we have what I call what I think is really a classic paradox. Um, or a contradiction, if you would, as to who exactly is Jesus. And I think we have, until we get this firmly settled in our minds and hearts, nothing I say this morning will make sense and will have little effect to you. The first thing, we see he has this apparent lack of knowledge of the impending storm from the human perspective. Christ is tired. He's had a busy week. And he's so tired, he falls asleep in the boat, And he stays asleep during this hellish storm that came up against him. 
The fact that Jesus was tired and was fatigued leads me to believe that there was no doubt in Christ's humanity. You know, it had been a couple of days. He was healing and he was teaching. So when he got into the boat, he fell asleep, and he stayed asleep even in the middle of the storm that threatened to sink the boat. But then next, Jesus gets up and rebukes the winds and the seas, and they become still. I want you to notice the disciples' question. He says, who can this be? Okay, what manner of man is this? That's in Matthew eight twenty seven. While Jesus had the body of flesh and the blood like you and I do, he was also Lord of all creation, commanding the elements. Of Jesus, the Apostle John says in John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. This is the mystery. Jesus was both God and a man. Two natures in one person. Two natures unmixed, but yet they were together. And I honestly believe that if we're not clear about that, then everything else is in vain. We have to get that concept. Everything starts and stops with the unique personage and deity of Jesus. You know, we're not just looking at a good man. Rather, we come face to face with the Lord God himself who came down in human form to dwell among his creation and to sacrifice his life. He, read a, he led a sinless life, a life that only the Lord God himself could live. In Jesus, we come face to face with the marvel of incarnation. Jesus became flesh, had a virgin birth. What manner of man is this? He was more than a man, but the Lord God himself. And unless we get that right, enough said. There is a a truism that says this. That was good. Wrong theories lead to long conclusions which result in disastrous ends. I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. If we understand that, we can look at the first point of our overall theme this morning, that we walk by faith and not by sight, and learn a lesson about the true nature of our faith. My first point this morning is faith refuses to panic. Responding to the disciples' panic, Matthew 8.26 says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? I think Jesus was acknowledging that they had faith, just not a whole lot. Men of little faith. And what he was doing, and I think Jesus did it, you know, when we see rebuke, sometimes we see that as a very aggressive action. I think Christ was rebuking them, but with humility saying, or kindness saying, why are you so afraid? Especially since he was in the boat with them. Now, 
challenge you a little bit now to put ourselves in that situation. Today, here we are in a relatively small boat. And there's a real threat in our lives. And a furious storm comes up and the waves are coming into the boat, filling it up. And we're bailing like crazy, only to realize that we're fighting a losing battle. And then to make matters worse, we think that Jesus is asleep in our boat. In other words, he isn't bringing any relief to our apparent hopeless situation. And when we come to him about the situation, he rebukes us by saying, why are you panicking? Paraphrasing a little bit, but as my followers, you shouldn't panic no matter how bad the situation is. You know, I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, we are unique. We have something that not everyone else has or possesses. We have the presence of Jesus Christ inside each and every one of us. In other words, Jesus is in our boat. Therefore, we should never be carried away by our feelings. Feelings aren't facts. Feelings are emotions. And I believe Scripture tells us clearly that Christians should always be in control of themselves, be self-controlled. Because isn't self-control one of the fruits of the Spirit? It completes our faith. I believe one reason why many believers are spiritually depressed at times is because they allow the situation to control them rather than controlling the situation by faith that resides within us. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.10, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, as Christians, we're never to be controlled by the situation, but rather we're to control the situation by faith that resides in us. So I think our first lesson about the nature of fearless faith is that Faith is a refusal to panic when the storms of our life come because Christ is in our boat. My next point is faith trusts. In our lives, and believe me, when I say in ours and we, I'm talking to me. You know, I, I, I do this stuff all the time. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I panic, we panic, like the disciples did. And you know what? I doing soul searching. I think that reveals a lack of trust and confidence in Jesus to see us through the storm. That's why I think Jesus reprimanded them. In effect, he was saying to his disciples, "Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me?" Didn't I tell you we were going to go to the other side? And notice what the disciples said in Luke 8, 24. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now these guys, they were seasoned sailors. They've probably been on that lake a thousand times. 
This isn't the first storm in their life that they ever had to deal with at sea. Might have been the largest storm. And what did they do? They probably did everything a good sailor does. They trimmed down their sail. They dropped it a little bit, reefed it up, probably tried to stare into the waves rather than have them taken broadside and all that. They did what they could, what they could. And it was only in desperation at the end that they say, Master, Master, we're perishing. You know, that's where we, us, me, find ourselves in times of trouble and we're in a state of spiritual depression. You know, it's a lack of faith in Jesus' overall concern for us and his care for us. So we take charge of the situation. Feeling like he doesn't care. Or if he does care, he can't or won't do anything about it. Apply that to our lives today about those lists of things that we started with. COVID, aging, national stuff, you know, finances, personal relationships. Do we really believe God can heal those problems? Or, because if I try to do it, I'm going to screw it up. It's, you know, it's easy from this vantage point, from 2,000 plus years later, to look objectively at the disciples' lives. But you know what I found out? That we do exactly what they did. That's why we hear comments from some folks around us saying, well, I guess you really didn't have all that much faith in God. You know, you believe and serve Him. It's that type of observation that keeps our family and friends from examining the true claims about Jesus Christ and having what eternal life is all about in and through Him alone. When we panic in the times of distress, it implies an overall lack of faith and trust in the Lord. Anybody have friends that know you're Christian? Wow. Everyone have friends that know you're a Christian? <laughs> you need to work on that. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. That's pretty cool. <laughs> My face hurt. It just cracked. <laughs> what is that weird feeling? I feel like the Grinch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where was I? Well, oh yeah. You know why people watch us? Especially ones that know we're Christians and they aren't. And they look to see how we deal with times of trouble and strife. Do we wring our hands or do we go to the Lord? You know, it's... O ye of little faith. My third point is fearless faith faith expects trials. Anybody expect life just to be like lollipop lane? You know, 
cotton candy clouds and unicorns and all that stuff. The question that always seems to come up, however, is why God allows storms to take place in the first place. And I think it's a case that's clearly a trial of faith. The scriptures are filled in the Old Testament new about times of trials. You know, everyone listed in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith, they were tried as well, and we went through all the trials this year. They have been given great and precious promises, but they also had trials and tribulations. You know, God gives us this great and precious gift of faith. But, you know, it's a faith that is tried throughout the trials of life. The Apostle Paul described his faith as being tested by fire so that in the end we would give God glory. In 1 Peter 1.7 it says this, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If no one's told this to you before, I'll be the first one. We're all going to have our faith tried. We're all going to have our faith tested. We're going to go through times where God is going to allow storms to come up against us in our little boats. But how do we handle them? I would say clearly the opposite way the disciples did. The disciples were in panic, despair, fearing for their lives. I think we should look at it rather as how Apostle James did in James 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet a trial of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We rejoice because God is allowing these storms to produce what we need the most. And that is the endurance to live in the world that is totally messed up. These tests, these difficulties are absolutely essential to the growth and maturity of our faith. So that when James, when Jesus returns, he will find great faith among his people. I had an old deacon when I lived up in the panhandle who had been a farmer for years, and he, he told me this story, and I think it's applicable. He told me a story about this small town. There's a town up there. It's actually called Two Egg. Anybody ever heard of Two Egg? Two Egg, teeming metropolis. Don't blink, you missed it. But it was a small town, and over the years it experienced poor harvest over for many years in a row. But they decided, the people of Two Egg decided that it was going to be different. And the whole town prayed and asked God if they could plan out the year for themselves so they could have a better harvest. And so God gave them the permission to run their own lives. Of course, it's a kind of not real story but uh, to run their own lives in the weather. So when they asked for rain, God sent rain. And when they asked for sunshine, God sent sunshine. And at the time of the harvest, the corn and the wheat were higher 
and thicker than they had ever been. However, there were no ears of corn on the stalks and no head of grain on the wheat. And the people felt abandoned by God. And they cried out, God, you have failed us. There is no crop. But God replied, you asked for everything that was needed. That is everything except the north winds. You see, the winds are absolutely necessary for pollinization. And with no pollination, there was never going to be any crops. Maybe we can understand a little better when James says to count it all joy when these various trials come our way. Or when Paul tells us we must go through many trials to enter God's kingdom. Yet, if we're going to be honest about it, it really isn't the trial that has us so upset or distressed. Rather, we're kind of like the disciples who asked, don't you care? Don't you care? And that, I believe, is where the real trial of our fearless faith comes in. The winds and the waves are bad enough. But what distressed the disciples the most was that Jesus was asleep and seemingly didn't care about what they were facing. But you know, that was far from the truth. Jesus was tired, yes. But beyond that, he knew the storm was coming. He knows everything. But he also had the Father's assurance that they'd reached the other side. And so this was God's promise and assurance for us when we face life's storms. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want to challenge you. Let's stop asking why. And know whatever we're facing, God knows all about it and will bring us into a greater future and hope. Let's not ask why, ask who. And if the ending is death, then this is the greatest future and hope any of us could ever have. Because why? We'll be in heaven where there is no more suffering, where there are no more sorrow, where there are no more tears of grief. You know, if we're tempted to think that God has abandoned us, we need to remember that Jesus is in the boat with us and that his promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us and he will accomplish his plan and purpose for our lives. My final point this morning is fearless faith acts. At this point, I'd like to examine the nature of Jesus' rebuke because it tells us a lot about the nature of faith. Notice how Jesus phrases this question. He says, where is your faith? It implies that the disciples had faith necessary to deal with the problem. What Jesus wanted to know was, where was their faith at that time? They had it. Where was it? Fearless faith is not a matter of feelings, as I said before. Because feelings are always changing. Instead, fearless faith is about how we respond to truth. 
Fearless faith isn't something that acts automatically. I call that kind of like thermostat faith. You know, we set our thermostats to a desired temperature so that it never gets too hot or too cold. And when the temperature exceeds what we have for the thermostat setting, then it automatically kicks in and brings the temperature back to normal. I think sometimes that's how we think faith works. When difficulties come in and exceed the limits set, that's when we want our faith to automatically kick in and bring us back to normal. Good concept, but that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is an activity, something that needs to be exercised. It doesn't operate by itself. We have to put it in action, in operation. Jesus said, where is your faith? Or to say it another way, why aren't you taking the faith you have been given and apply it to this situation? The most logical question would be, how do we put our faith into operation? Well, I would submit, don't be controlled by circumstances. That's what happened to the disciples. They were in a small boat when the storm arose. Jesus was asleep. The water's coming in faster than they could bail it out. It looked like they were going to sink, so they panicked. The situation had control of them. Faith is saying, I am not going to be controlled by the circumstance. Rather, I'm giving control over to the Lord. That is what fearless faith is. It holds on to the truth and then reasons from whatever we're facing from what it knows is truth. In other words, Jesus is in our boat. We should speak God's truth to the circumstances in our lives. When all these things come against us, attempting to drive us into despair, and while we may not know what's going on or why, faith speaks truth to the situation. Here are some truths we can hold on to. God loves me so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into this world so we could have what? Eternal life. That even while we were God's enemy, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, and Jesus sacrificed his life to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Take that to the bank. This sacrifice Jesus has made has reconciled us to God, where we're not only his children and inheritors of all that he has, but also of all the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and true and ours. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, and that in Christ we are no longer condemned. You know, God desires to do exceedingly abundant things in our lives. Things that are above and beyond what we may even think about asking or even imagine through the power that the Holy Spirit has given us because he resides in us. We can't outthink God. He knows what's best for us. All things work together, work uh, themselves out for good. And that what others have meant for evil, God will bring about for our own good. In the midst of everything that is going on in our lives, 
we believe that God will never leave us or forsake us. God is in our boat. If I say anything today that resonates with you, hopefully this will. Write it down, whatever. Fearless faith refuses to be controlled by circumstances and reminds itself of what it believes and knows as being true. We should refuse to be moved when the enemy attacks. We, when the water pours into our boat, we shouldn't be panicking. We should instead stand upon the faith that we have. Believe in the truth and the rest of the knowledge that God is the one who said it and will therefore he will bring it about. It might seem strange, but I think there's great value in a weak faith. However poor or weak the disciples' faith was, the disciples had enough faith to go to Jesus. In Luke 8, 24, and they came to him and awoke him. And even though he kind of slapped the hand for not using the faith he had, he still heard their cries and calmed the storm. Even though at times our faith may be weak, we need to use what faith we have and go to Jesus. He will hear our cries and he will bring calm to the turbulent water. When we find ourselves in this position of trials and testing, as strange as it might seem, take it as a wonderful opportunity to show the faith God has given you and to bring glory to his name. And when you are besieged or attacked and you find you don't have strength, don't panic. Fly to the arms of Jesus. Jesus has received you, blessed you, brings you deliverance, and is able to calm the raging storms of your life. That's the nature of fearless faith. If the worship team would come forward and... uh, I, I, I feel compelled to do this this morning. Um, I don't know the status of your heart. I don't know the status of your relationship with God. And I, I, I also know that I'm not guaranteed another breath, uh, breath. Christ could stroke me out, take me out right now. If you don't know the Lord this morning, then let me introduce you to him. And it's a, it's a real simple concept, is that we admit that we are sinners. We admit that we're sinners. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. That he suffered death on the cross, died, was buried, and more importantly, he was resurrected. And then this is the hard part. We need to confess. Do we need to confess every sin? Yep, we do. Do we remember what I did in sixth grade? Not that well. God knows it all. So go to him humbly with a contrite heart and ask for his forgiveness. Forgiveness, redemption. Father Lord, I just pray this morning that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they they take the step 
to know you, to come into a relationship with you, to realize that you, we are your ch- children, that you're a loving father, a wonderful counselor. Lord, I just ask this morning that hearts be moved. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.